Hi, I'm your host, Tom DeSavia. Join me as I interview guests for music and entertainment from around the world about what they're up to right now. Stay tuned, because we're gone in 30 minutes. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Gone in 30 Minutes. We have a very special episode today. Uh, my guest is uh, Camila Lara from the Mexican Institute of Sound. And hey, Camila, how you doing, buddy? Hey. All the way from Mexico City. All the way from Mexico City. And joining us also today, all the way from uh, Florida, the other side of the world, is my coworker and good pal, Pablo. Hey, how are you guys? Great hey, Bob. I was on the phone, uh, Camilo, the other day with, with Pablo in prepping for the show, and I said, let's talk about some cool things we can talk about with him. And, and he started to go down this amazing story path that five minutes in, I'm like, you have to be on the show and just do it with me. <laughs> so, yeah. This is going to be our first, our first trio on the show. So as we start off every episode, um, what are you doing right now, man? Um, well, uh, I've been nonstop producing since this whole madness started. I've been at the studio every day. Um, and it has been, I mean, I, uh, it has been really like mixed feelings, but, uh, for me, it has been my, my hamster wheel. I've been nonstop producing literally like every day, uh, seems like a, a lot of people is, uh, like really like doing new music and so in producing and, and doing my music uh, so it's been it's been interesting at the same time i i start running in the mornings so i discovered the magic of the audiobooks and i've been in a kind of an amazing trip of uh, of um learning a lot about the music that i love uh so I started with the Beastie Boys book while I was running, and it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, then I jumped into uh, Shock and Now, that is the, the Simon Raymond saw a book about glam, uh, glam rock. Oh, wow. okay. Then that took me to read, uh, to listen to the new uh, Talking Heads, uh, uh, Chris Franz uh, book uh, that was amazing and um, I, I, I've been involved in so many levels with the different talking heads over my career. That took me to read uh, the Seymour Stein book, and that took me to read your book. So <laughs> I end up I end up uh, listen, uh, listening to the book that I was. It was a fantastic experience, and I should. Uh, read after all those books, the Beastie Boys book, because it starts right when your book starts, and yeah. and so it's been to me like a, a really deep lesson on my roots, what I love, what uh, like the music that I'm passionate about, and uh, and it's been very exciting. Like I'm, I'm so that's why I, I I've been looking forward for this interview because. Um, it was fantastic. Like I really enjoyed the book, and I, it, for me, it, it. I've been thinking so much about so many crazy theories on punk all over different cities. That uh, uh, that's why I told you like this. Pro this conversation probably should last a couple of hours, minimum. <laughs> well, it can. We can. We're just going to do it in, in segments. 
I know this goes, this goes so fast every time we do this. Well, I mean, really quickly, I want to say I met you really officially with Pobs in, in Nashville. I guess it was about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I had bought, it was funny, I was saying, I think I told you at the time, uh, I had heard Mexico, and I think I was talking to Pablo, I think it was on um, Narcos. I think we figured it might have been. I was trying to remember where I saw it, and I shazammed it because I freaked out at the song so much and bought the album, became so obsessed with the album. And then when I came to this company, I realized you were here, and we met, we had such a great conversation about everything from, I think, our mutual pal Chico Man to regional punk rock, and and I've wanted to have that conversation again and further it so i'm so glad we're able to my man right <laughs> cool well uh, that record that record was uh, it's already four years so and it was made on election day so i i i i am starting to think i do records just before every election <laughs> and uh it's not good <laughs> it makes me nervous like oh my god it remind me how horrible was that election but we have one ahead and so you know. <laughs> no, no, no pressure just the future of american democracy writes right upon your, yeah so don't don't worry about getting writer's block <laughs> <laughs> who cares hey camilo so it's very interesting that you're a fan of of punk music and I want you to talk about maybe if you see like any parallels between the punk movement and cumbia music as far as maybe the message or the scene. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I completely see that parallel uh, idea. I when I when I start uh, when I was a kid, I I think punk rock uh, in Mexico came super late. Uh, I'm. I think uh, on 83, 84, uh, people started realizing there was punk rock outside. Um, so I was a kid. I was I was six year old kid, and uh, I was my my brother used to have a, a new wave band, and my other brother used to play in a band. So I I used to have all these uh, Bauhaus, uh, XTC, Blue Nile records at home. Um, but um, I remember sneaking into my brother's room, and there was a, a porno magazine of uh, of the '80s, and I started looking at that. I saw the girls. I didn't care about the girls, but I saw these kids like dress up like the most amazing way, and turn out it was Malcolm McLaren and and uh, <laughs> Sex Pistols and like all the Brits uh, just uh, being cool. So I I cut the porno magazine and put it on my room. And my brothers were like, "What the hell, dude?" Like, and, and uh, I, but that, that's I I'm I was obsessed with that. So when when I finally saved some money to buy a record, I went and buy two records. Uh, one by Esquivel that was um, a, it was a kids show called Burbujas. It was a uh, '80s kind of a very popular for kids show like the Teletubbies. And my other record. Um, that I thought it was punk rock was quite riot because the cover, I, I was a kid, so I was like, huh, those guys, uh, quite riot this is the record I should buy. And I heard the song on the radio and for me, so I, that was my first record I bought. And, uh, and I never, I didn't realize that it was not the same thing, but uh, later in life I discovered punk rock was. And 
and uh, I mean, many years passed and I started digging records and I found cumbia. And cumbia always became this kind of um, very marginal thing in Mexico City, thing that you listen, you don't listen on the radio or at least on the past, it was like something that uh, people didn't talk openly about. Like you never said like, I love cumbia. Like that's poor, poor people music. And it was like, if you were a middle classer, you were struggling to be middle classer, you never said like you like cumbia and stuff. So I, I always thought like cumbia had this kind of rebel angle in life. And, and it, was, it was, for me, when I was growing up, I was listening to punk rock. Uh, I didn't like uh, reggae because uh, my friends smoke pot and they, they like reggae. So I was like, oh, if I smoke pot, I'm going to end up liking Bob Marley and I like sex. I'm not going to smoke pot. Um, and later I love reggae. And uh, I was, <laughs> <laughs> let the audience draw that conclusion there. Right. <laughs> it's really obvious. But, um, but I always, uh, besides the, the all those records, um, I listen to Cumbia. And, and that's my my record digging experience was like getting all these cumbia records and and we always were the underdogs like the misfits on the community that like the cumbia so it totally in, in my story it has a lot to do the cumbia world with uh, with the punk rock can you explain cumbia a little bit to the audience that may not understand sure yeah a camilo would have like a better answer maybe but a really quick uh, is a style of music that started in Colombia, I would say, and then moved to Mexico, and it's is is basically the the blues of Colombia in a way. Uh, it, uh, it started in the delta of the Magdalena River, and it was a mix of music by uh, the slaves at the time, uh, the indigenous people, and the European people, and. I'll let Camilo a continuous story from Colombia to Mexico. Yeah, well, you are absolutely right. Is uh, um, they there are so many stories about cumbia. It's the oldest rhythm in Latin Latin America, um, but they say that the chains of the slaves made this kind of. It was the walking when slaves walk. It was the rhythm of the of the chains, um, and there there is a story of there was a. a, a boat that um, had an accident and some accordions uh, were uh, floating on the sea and some slaves took it and they start doing music with the chains and, uh, and the accordion. So that cumbia spread everywhere where slaves were. So there's cumbia basically in all the continent and there's cumbia from Argentina to, to Alaska. Uh, uh, and it's the only rhythm that uh, it has been alive for so many hundreds of years, and it has uh, it has evolved in in local scenes. So there's cumbia in Argentina, that is uh, cumbia villera, or there's uh, the Colombian cumbia, or the Mexican cumbia, which is the sonidero, the sonidero, or the cumbia uh, Col colombiana Monterrey. Um, so uh, it's it's probably the hip hop of Latin America. Like it's it's a universal language that it changed according to the region. When you were a kid and you were it was reaching you, were you hearing the old recordings? Or were you hearing new music being made? 
Well, I was, it's funny because I was listening to Cumbia uh, when I was record digging and that's the records I, I bought to, sam to sampling, to do sampling. Uh, but at home, uh, I have a new wave brother. So I keep on listening to new wave all the time. Like I listen to a lot. My childhood records are like the Smiths. Um, my favorite band besides uh, XTC, it's probably, uh, I don't know. Uh, um, I don't know. I mean, I have so many bands, but uh, I, I, I grow up listening to that. Uh, and I start DJing that. But soon I realized I didn't like to spin so much rock and I start getting all these cumbia and tropical albums and start spinning. And that was a rebellious move because uh, my the hipsters of my age, they hated it. They were like, dude, that's horrible. What are you playing? And that lasts for 15 years. Like they hated to move cumbia. Finally, um, later in life, I produced a band that it was a, a, an old band, a legendary band called Angeles Azules, and Cumbia got back. So it, it finally went to charts again to radio and became popular. And it was a nice time, but that happened at many years after uh, I, I DJ Cumbia. And I was not alone. Like there were people in Argentina doing the same in Colombia, everywhere. Pops, you were gonna say? No, no, no go ahead. Go ahead. Have a I was, um, well, I was gonna say. So, I something I learned about you that I didn't know was you were actually on our side of the desk. You were a horrible person. You worked in the music business. <laughs> how did you How did you make that transition to artist? How did uh, that happen? And what were What was your job? I I was talking with my wife about it, and there are not so many uh, like people going from record business to musician. Like some musicians don't do record business. My thing is that I started uh, very young. When I was 15 years old, I joined EMI. I used to be on a radio, uh, on a very seminal radio station in Mexico called uh, Radio Tivo with uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu, to uh, the film director, uh, and many talented people. And I quit there. So I started working on EMI as promoter. Uh, uh, I was 15 years old, I, and I, I really needed to work to get money to buy records. That was my whole thing. Still, but thing uh, uh, that I my friends were musicians, and, and they were releasing like they were doing cool music. So I I convinced my boss to sign a few artists. And uh, I became an a um, at the year I was uh, working there. And I happened to sign a few very important uh, alternative bands like El Gran Silencio or Plastilina Mosh. Um, and, and I started my career there. I spent a lot of time on EMI and I started, did like promotion then A&R then I did really good on A&R, and they they put me as a president for Virgin Records. Um, then I got uh, my friend Alfonso Cuaron, the guy who did uh, uh, Gravity and Tu Mama También and Roma. 
uh, told me like, oh, you you shouldn't be a bureaucrat. Like, let's do a label and let, let's do a company. So I, I quit and I did a, a label with him, a film company, and we did Ito Mama Tambien, and he did a bunch of uh, cool uh, movies and, and music. Um, were, you doing music, were you doing music in the 90s as well? Like, were you like producing and writing music at the same time that you were in the business and just like performing it or, or, or? Yeah, uh, at the same time I was starting to uh, mess with uh, sampling and, and doing songs. Um, so I, it started there, it started when I had the la independent label with Alfonso. And um, we, uh, the label was great. We signed really crazy bands and nothing so commercially successful, but very seminal to the scene. Uh, and our, one of the partners uh, bought a football club. Uh, he, he was a money guy, obviously. And he bought a football club, so he ran out of money. And Alfonso got called to do Harry Potter. So he moved to London. And suddenly I was unemployed, <laughs> doing music on my own. Uh, I got back to EMI and, and I was hired again. And uh, I run EMI for a few, seven years. And uh, I signed a lot of bands, uh, pop, alternative, all kinds of stuff. So, so, but I always thought that was my day job. Like I, the, the, the place that I, I needed to get money. Um, in the meantime, I started doing music. And when eventually my, my music started doing good, uh, I quit EMI and was like, see you, I'm gonna do my own music. <laughs> I'd say there's hope for the rest of us, but it sounds like you have to have, I don't know, talent and ambition and drive and <laughs> and people out there that believe in you. So <laughs> I guess I'm gonna stay in this job. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. amazing. amazing. Um, you know what, I'd love to, like, so this is going to run out faster than we, we, we wanted to. Um, can we talk a little bit about Coco? I hate to jump around a little bit. Sure. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I, I mean, that was so unexpected. <laughs> uh, I, I got, a, I got a, a, a Facebook message saying, like, oh, uh, you probably won't believe me, but I directed uh, Toy Story and Monster Inc. and I, uh, I've been listening to your music and uh, I, I'm writing this new script that uh, it's going to be about Mexico. Uh, so I flew to, to Pixar and yeah, it, uh, Lee, the director from Coco was, uh, he searched for uh, Mexican Institute, for Mexican music and he got a, a couple of bands that I won't tell the name, but uh, they, they, he said like they suck. <laughs> uh, third, and, and he was like, oh, that's the one I like. Uh, so he started writing Coco with my music on the back. And um, so I got uh, involved very early. And um, and yeah, I, I, I helped them to like kind of uh, see the whole map of Mexican music, then choose what kind of music would sound there uh, in a town like uh, La Santa Cecilia town. Um, and uh, and one day I end up being the DJ of the of the party in De La Cruz. Uh, they they draw me. I was I didn't expect it, and it was it was fantastic. I look skinny. Yeah. <laughs> you know that it was gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. 
Uh, did you know that it was going to happen? That they were going to animate you, or or like? Ah, uh, no, no, not at all. Like they, when when I was at the screening, uh, we had sessions all the time, and they just uh, wait quietly to see me crying. And I was like, for for two years, I was like, I want to tell the world that I'm actually in the movie, and yeah. uh, but I couldn't. So it was uh, very painful. And the good thing is that. My mom saw it and and he was like, "Oh well, now I believe you. You're a musician, so <laughs> help me a lot." <laughs> That's amazing. It's an amazing film, and I have not been able to watch it again yet since I recently discovered you're in it. So now <laughs> I've got to do another. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, very few people can say that they've been animated for a movie, for any movie. So that's amazing. Amazing. It's, I mean, you've, you've had such an incredible journey and we're getting to touch on 2% of it, which I love. But I, I, I kind of want to go back to what you were talking about earlier. Um, you've been in Mexico City the whole time since the lockdown started, yeah? Yes, all the time. So, and I love talking about this for our, because it's come up in almost every conversation. How did you, were you able to create immediately? Did you suffer any kind of blocking from what was going on? Like, how did you overcome that if you did? Like, how was it to get into creative while this is going on? Because I've heard every story from across the spectrum. Yes, uh, for me, it was, um, I think it was like a cre very creative moment, but in, in the middle of a swamp. Mm -hmm. So it was like, uh, I had the ideas, but it was like to move. It took so much energy and so much uh, uh, mind, mind, mind space uh, to do something that uh, I gave up. I, I thought like my first months were not creative, but they were uh, as uh, to the to keep on producing and 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 being um, helping other people. But uh, after. A few months, I started to realize that um, that creativity lives in your head, and, and that uh, I, I found this space where uh, it's not—it's really away from CNN, from all the headlines, from all the crap that you are listening all the time, and just to focus on on things that are important and sound on and. The, the things that uh, as a producer you should be on top of it so uh, it took me a, a few months to realize that and and i think it has been a very exciting moment i haven't been at home in, in that long in probably 20 years or so so it's uh, i'm discovering the place i live my, my i'm discovering my wife my dog my city um so it's i'm seeing i'm i'm probably being too positive, um, and and in a few years I'm gonna say like, oh my God, like you were in, you were just uh, uh, kind of um, playing with your head not to be immersed in a horrible idea. But I think it, we've talked about this on a couple of shows. Look, the very purpose of art, you know, I, I don't doubt anyone would disagree. The very purpose of art, be it be it a book, be it a painting be it a film, be it music, is to help us escape. It helps us go to another world. So your your job right now is very important. People need, this is what gives people, you know, hope. But it also, um, 
I'm always curious, like where where people find inspiration during this time. Yes, what what is very exciting, um, and I don't know if exciting is the word, but I think we are living uh, a thing that is going to change the creative process forever, and I don't think there's going to be music like it was, and uh, it's a it's a very interesting. Uh, it's a very interesting moment to realize that music and art is gonna be our way to to have communication with other people, and and that the, that happened in the past, but we take it for granted, and now uh, that is the only thing that keeps us humanity going around. Uh, it's very exciting, and I think it's it's gonna be. I don't know if it's going to be good or bad, but it definitely will change the relations and our approach to technology. Um, for example, the touch screen the trend probably is not going to be the next big thing. Um, probably music is going to be more uh, with more um, choose, more solid, uh, more deep. Uh, I think many of the values that we we take it for granted are going to be very like essential now, and and that's ex it's exciting. Like it's it's what it is. This is the world we have, and uh, we have to embrace it. That's, uh, that's amazingly put. Uh, Pubs, any parting words before we move on to our lightning round here? No, I mean that was amazing. I'm inspired about you have to ask me so. <laughs> Where I cannot wait for so many reasons for us to return to whatever normal is, but a big one is to be able yeah. to hang out with you again, man, and, oh, sure, yeah. and and have this conversation over several beers. All right, I'm gonna put the, the hat I normally put pull my questions out of. I'm actually gonna pull it on because I don't like what's happening with my forehead right now. So this hat uh, once belonged to Sammy Davis Jr. It was given to me by my pal Mark Hutner for a birthday, and um, so I have Sammy Davis Jr.'s hat on my head right wow. now how's that yeah that's one thing i like to brag on everything else is rotten and miserable um if you had to choose one animal to help you win a fight what animal would you choose kiwi whoa <laughs> well, so, I'm why a is that? Kiwi, so um yeah might be might be a good idea to have kiwi as an animal i like it if you could take two albums excuse my dog if you could take two albums with you to a desert island that's all you get what two albums are you taking uh, Suburban Lungs, uh, first and only record, uh, and I would say uh, any, any Andres Landero, whichever, like any Andres Landero is as good as Sandinista. Andres Landero is a Cuban artist, uh, it's a cumbia artist that plays accordion from Colombia. Okay, Just we're going to put this in the, the comments because I need to hear this. this yes. Uh, Pops, what's your one record? You get one. What one record are you taking? No, um, one, hurry, go, go. Herbie Hancock. Um, Herbie Hancock. I don't know. What uh, fictional character do you wish you could meet? Uh, I would say uh, Thomas Pynchon. That is not a fictional character, but probably it is. It's, there you go. If you read Infinite Jest, you. Don't understand what happened. <laughs> um, what personality trait has gotten you in the most trouble in your life? Me? 
Yeah. Oh my! God. I'm such a calm guy, but on stage I'm a, a, I'm a monkey. So my <laughs> monkey personality on stage, it's yeah, it's not me, and I'm not I'm not comfortable with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see. Uh, do you believe in fate? Do you believe in fate? Ah, uh, not really. Okay, fair enough. You don't have to go deeper than that. Have you ever tried to cut your own hair? Sadly, no. I wish. <laughs> I, I wish. <laughs> Bob's. How about you? Have you have you have you done that? Is that your work over this? No, no. I just like a few trims here and there. That's it. Okay. Here's another. As you see, I've done nothing. <laughs> that. Uh, if your life was a movie, what songs would be on the soundtrack? Give me two. Um, I would say. Uh, Oh my, that's a super difficult question. You can give uh, me a pass. You give me a pass. Gonna, you, I'm going to give you a pass. It's taking too long. If you yeah. could visit one place on earth right now, right now, and you could go anywhere you want, where would you go? Um, I guess it would be to Jamaica, to Kingston. Excellent. Yeah, I, I'm missing Jamaica so much. Pops, where would you go? I would go to Mexico for some tacos, man. In, in Mexico City, of course. In Mexico City. Where should people go get tacos in Mexico City? Oh, that that's like yeah. asking like do you have believe in faith? You get to go to one place and then you're 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 leaving, never coming back. Where do you go? Uh, wherever serve taco al pastor. Like if okay. you come to Mexico and do don't don't do taco al pastor, you're you're crazy. All right, we're going to, these are all, this is really tough because it's really easier when it's, I'm picking them out of the hat, but I'm going to do our last question. I want this from both of you. Your first celebrity crush. Mm. Come on. Bob's got time to think about it. Kim Basinger, Batman. <laughs> and Batman. In, yeah, I mean, that's how I met her. <laughs> Debbie Harry. Probably. Debbie Harry. How do you feel about putting pineapple on pizza? Always. That's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. Oh, this is an interesting cross-cultural question. See, I'm, <laughs> going say, I'm going to say that would end our friendship. Um, okay, we we are gone. That's been 30 minutes. Camilo, can't thank you enough for for being a guest. Will you please come back and do this again? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, we have to uh, end up with uh, my million questions I have for your book. So. <laughs> <laughs> we, we won't we won't broadcast that. No one else wants to see that. Pablo. <laughs> My friends, I miss you more getting to see you on here, man. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. Everybody, thanks for joining us. We're gone in 30 minutes. This show was presented by Craft Recordings. Thanks for joining us for Gone in 30 Minutes, produced by Laura Saez. I'm your host, Tom, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>